Our text of Scripture for today comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount, from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning with the 13th verse. I invite you to listen for God's Word. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we come before you this morning thankful for another opportunity to receive what you alone provide, to hear your word, to gather together in the community of faith, to sing our praises. Speak to us now, O Lord, as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but... Does it seem to you that people are just a little on edge these days? There seems to be this kind of intensity in the air. Just this week, I've watched several arguments break out right in front of me on more than one occasion. One columnist in the Wall Street Journal writes, Everything is too charged. With sparks and small shocks all over, nothing feels stable, end quote. It just has this feel of a kind of increasing polarization is the order of the day. Reminds me of a story that came out of the Los Angeles Times syndicate of a commercial flight cancellation that resulted in a long line of travelers trying to get booked on another flight. One man in the line grew increasingly impatient with the slow-moving line. Suddenly, he pushed his way to the front and angrily demanded for a first-class ticket on the very next available flight. I'm sorry, said the ticket agent, but I'll have to first take care of the people who were ahead of you in line. The irate man then pounded his fist on the ticket counter And he exclaimed, do you have any idea who I am? Whereupon the ticket agent 
picked up the public address microphone and said, attention please, there's a gentleman at the ticket counter who does not know who he is. If there's anyone in the airport who can identify him, please come to the counter. And hearing this, the man retreated, and the people in line applauded. Identity. In times of stress and uncertainty, we can all lose our sense of identity and who we are and how we should behave in the world. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is your identity. Whatever else you think you may be or you are, whatever else you think you may be about, you are to have influence on others. Now the Beatitudes that we considered last week begin with, blessed are you. In the future, they give way to the demands of faith today in the present. These words in the Sermon on the Mount are meant to stir us from complacency as we switch from gift to task on this ascent of faith. From future to present. From complacency to discipleship. Now, many of you have heard this saying that we use sometimes in the English language that comes from this text. We sometimes describe a person as being salt of the earth. And according to Wikipedia, that means it refers to a person who's thoroughly decent. But Jesus clearly intends to go further than to identify people who are simply thoroughly decent, though there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus informs his followers of their identity and their responsibility in a non-Christian or a sub-Christian or a post-Christian society. He emphasizes the difference between the church and the world. And he emphasizes the influence believers ought to have on their environment, on people's lives. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. But if salt has lost its taste or you hide your lamp under a bushel basket, what good is that? I mean, clearly we're meant to have influence and impact on the lives of others. We're intended to be some kind of a preservative to light the way for others to follow. Think for just a moment of who has influenced your life. Who have been the individuals who have had a significant influence, their salt-of-the-earth kind of people that influenced you at critical moments as you were making your journey towards maturity? Can you imagine yourself being a model for others who are living in the midst of uncertainty and anxiety today? I know this. Somebody is watching you. 
Somebody who's uncertain about their own identity, hoping that perhaps your life can provide some insight, some example of how to live out the life of faith in uncertain times. Now at Yale University these days, undergraduates are taking a course entitled Life Worth Living. Their professor is Dr. Miroslav Wolf. He was formerly uh, here in Pasadena on the faculty at Fuller Seminary. He's also the director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. He sent an email describing his experience of teaching this course to these really bright young people. And he writes, In three consecutive class sessions, our topics were money, power, and sex. Two things became clear from our readings in our discussion. First, the prevalent way in which we think of human well-being is fulfillment of desires. This is how broad swaths of culture understand well-being. This is how scholars who study the importance of money, power, and sex in life, in human life, understand well-being. Second, Addiction is rampant. And arguably the most serious epidemic our societies are facing. I don't mean just addiction to alcohol and illegal drugs. I mean above all addiction to food, to sex, porn, to power and money, both money itself and the things money can buy. When you put these two observations together you have the content of what I have called my startling discovery. We think of well-being as fulfillment of desires, but the way we seek to fulfill our desires is often the very thing that destroys us. Our striving is self-contradictory. The road so many of us think leads to salvation ends in fact in perdition. End quote. There are observers of our culture today who see this kind of descending darkness, the loss of insight about what makes for human well-being. And in this way, I think, our faith critiques the messages of our culture about what leads to human well-being for individuals and for our society. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, inverts our understanding and calls us to some purpose greater than ourselves. To some task beyond our capabilities. To some identity as disciples of a remarkable Lord and Savior. I once visited a retired minister who was in the hospital after a very serious health crisis. As I walked down the hallway of the hospital, I could hear laughter and joy coming from his room. I heard a conversation that was light and lively as he engaged the nurse who was caring for him. He already knew all about her family, her educational background, her goals in life, where she was from, and her history. I walked into the room and I wondered, who's taking care of whom here? He was fascinated with people. 
He was interested in the technology that was monitoring his vital signs. He was grateful for the kindness and care that he was receiving. And he had clearly determined that the people who entered his room were talented and well-motivated. He expected the best in them, and that's what he received. And unfortunately, the opposite is so often true. When we expect the worst from people, they rarely disappoint us. No matter how small your world may become, you can still be salt and light for another's life. Your world of influence may only be a hospital room, but you can bring light into the life of another. You can still influence and impact the world around you. We all have remarkable circles of influence. And someone's eyes are upon us. Each and every one of us can be salt and light. If you think of six degrees of separation and think about the impact of the people just in this sanctuary the circles of influence that we have throughout the community throughout the city throughout the state throughout the country it's remarkable now once upon a time this text from this morning set a different standard for people and a nation Rather than fulfilling their own desires, human life was expected to aspire to something great. And in a sermon entitled, A Model of Christian Charity, a Puritan preacher named John Winthrop challenged the people who were on the flagship of an armada entitled the Arbella, making its way towards the New World and the Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1630, that preacher admonished those on board that ship, the Arabella, with these words. Now, the only way to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our excesses for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness and gentleness, patience and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work. Our community is members of the same body. So shall we weep, so shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us. And then men shall say of succeeding plantations, The Lord made it like that of New England. 
For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. The words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount have moved people throughout history from complacency to a sense of urgency about changing the world. We are also on a voyage, and it's no less hazardous today than it was in 1630. What is needed are, is those who are willing to take up the challenge of being salt and light, reflecting God's light into the darkness, preserving that which is good, and becoming salt of the earth. From a private religion that seeks only individual well-being, God seeks to move us to public expression of our faith. Live so that others see your charity your generosity, your faithfulness, your gentleness. We bury our talents, we hide our flickering candles under bushel baskets of all kinds in the hopes that somehow we might preserve them. And the reality is that the wind we fear will extinguish our candles actually provides the oxygen needed for the flame to flourish. The winds of adversity that are blowing in your life may just be coming to provide oxygen that you need. We all pass through periods of darkness and depression and anxiety and uncertainty, but when I hear these words of our Lord Jesus, it begins to dawn on me that God intends to use people like you and me to bring light into a dark world. And God has no intention of hiding the light that He kindles in you and me. We don't have to be afraid of that light going out. All we have to be afraid of is not sharing it, not passing it on, not joining with others in allowing that light to shine more brightly for the sake of those who are struggling to find any light. And when Jesus called the disciples the light of the world, he talked about people who believed in a world that was larger than the one that we see. It's from that larger world of eternity that the inner brightness comes. And these people in some way or another were in touch with the living God and they lived their lives against the backdrop of eternity. They weren't always sure of it, not always sure what it means, but they felt it in their bones. And their lives were more than just one day after another after another. Someone's eyes are upon you. Let your light shine to the glory of of God and for the sake of a better world become salt of the earth and remember the light shines in the darkness 
and the darkness did not overcome it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God, of those who are called to be salt of the earth and light of the world. They'll come from east and west, from north and south, from all over to join with our Lord and sit at table in the kingdom of heaven. According to Luke's gospel, it was when our Lord was with his disciples on after the road to Emmaus, that he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Our scouts are bringing forward the elements for communion now, and we welcome all of our children back into the sanctuary this morning to share with us in this feast. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that our Lord Jesus took bread gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples as we minister in his name, give this bread to you. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we praise you. Let the heavens be joyful and the earth be glad. We bless you for creating the whole world and for your promises to your people and for Jesus Christ in whom your fullness dwells. Born of Mary, he shares our life. Eating with sinners, he welcomes us. Guiding his children, he leads us. Visiting the sick, he heals us. Dying on the cross, he saves us. And risen from the dead, he gives us new life. We rejoice that in Jesus Christ, the Savior has come and that he will come again in power and glory to make all things new. In sending Christ, the light of the world, you revealed your glory to all the nations. You sent a star to guide seekers of wisdom to Bethlehem that they might worship Christ. Your signs and wonders in every age lead people from every place to worship Him. His name is above every name. So with thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and we proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and this meal, that they may be a communion in the body and the blood of our Lord. Make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith, encourage us with hope, inspire us to love, that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God. Through Christ, your word made flesh, and the holy and life-giving Spirit, now and forever. Amen. <clears throat>